0: Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Radio Free Bay Ridge. I'm Dan.
1: And I'm Rachel, and we're your hyper-local political progressive podcast. Yes,
0: in case you're joining us for the first time covering progressive issues centered entirely on Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. So, Rachel, we I actually haven't seen you for a little <laughs> while. Um, yeah. I've been handling all these intros
1: and outros by myself. Know, you've, you've, and you've been stuck in the editing room for... 24-7, it seems like. Oh,
0: no, that that is now ended now that the NY11 candidates, we have pushed every single one of them out. If you're listening now and you're interested in NY11, which is Staten Island and South Brooklyn, our local federal House Congress seat, go listen to all those episodes, get a feel for all of the primary candidates. Um, a couple of them have dropped out, but they're noted on their show notes.
1: Yeah, well, and it's still, it's also, even though people have dropped out, it's good to get an idea of what ideas were being discussed in the race. Yeah.
0: Um, We were today going to bring you guys a kind of roundup discussion to fill in some of the gaps in that NY11 stuff. We're going to delay that a little bit, but what we have today is actually an experiment for the podcast. We just said we were hyperlocal.
1: But, well, we looked at the title of this episode, and you probably have too, and we're going to be talking a little about Yemen today.
0: So, Rachel, how is Yemen... Bay Ridge. How is this hyper-local? This is an absolute break.
1: (laughs) Well, it is, unless you start thinking about the people who make up Bay Ridge and the different communities in Bay Ridge. And Bay Ridge, as you're going to hear, has a very present and very integral Yemeni community. So what we're going to do is hear a little bit from Rabia about what's going on in Yemen right now, and then give you a little update about what our federal representative is doing or not doing in Yemen. And kind of let you have a little bit of insight into the lives of your neighbors.
0: Yeah. And if you like a little bit of the international into your hyperlocal and how those things mix, let us know, tweet at us, put a comment in, because this is something that we might want to turn into a regular series exploring the foreign policy and international connections that the immigrant communities in our neighborhood have and understanding where they're coming from.
1: And one of the things that makes this very relevant is the fact that our current representative, Dan Donovan, sits on the Committee for Foreign Affairs. The international for us is actually something that our representative should have his finger on the pulse of.
0: Yeah, and something that, as constituents, we have a say in. And without further ado, Rabia joins me and Mary in the studio. So we're in the studio today with Rabia Elthabani. Thank you so much for coming by.
2: Thank you for having me, guys. And yeah, I mean... I've been here for almost two years, so yay! <laughs> yay! <laughs> and yeah, I totally agree with you. It really is a great, great community, and it's really diverse, contrary to uh, <laughs> my my downtown Brooklyn, you know, preconceived notions about Bay Ridge. It's really, again, like you said, kind of a melting pot here in Bay Ridge, and yeah, and the Yemeni community is a big part of it. So thank you for having me.
3: You told me one time that Yemenis have been coming to the United States for over a hundred years. There is this. Misconception
2: about Yemeni Americans that they're like uh, newer immigrants to the United States, but Yemeni Americans first immigrated to the United States in the early 1900s. My family, in particular, and um, many other families, immigrated to the U.S. post World War II. My great uncle um, settled in Brooklyn Heights in the late 1950s, and he initially invested in a lot of properties in that area, like Mm. um, Carroll Gardens, Brooklyn Heights, Borum Hill. And so the first kind of wave of Yemeni Americans to the United States came at that time up until like the late 70s, early 80s. And then there was a second wave of Yemeni Americans that immigrated to the United States. um, And that was post the civil war in Yemen, um, or the war of reunification Mm -hmm. um, in the early 1990s. So then from the 1990s up until now, there was a second wave of Yemeni Americans, by the way immigrating here legally, sponsored by family members, American citizens, and they all went into businesses. And a lot of your grocery store owners, your bodega owners, and mini-marts, and they're like a really important part of New York City and the country as a whole. I mean, they create thousands of jobs, um, pay millions of dollars in taxes, and they've been here for a very long time. So no, we're not new to the U.S. We're actually very much a part of the U.S., (laughs)
0: I mean, that goes straight to, if anyone remembers, right after the Muslim ban was announced, if you tried to go down to your local bodega and you found it closed one day, your 24-hour bodega, it might have been because of the Yemeni bodega strike. Yemeni
2: Americans, okay, (laughs) I think for me, having helped organize a bodega strike is really meaningful because no other community would have collectively... I would say more than 2,500 grocery stores and bodegas and businesses in New York City closed shop for more than eight hours. It wasn't an hour or two or even, these are stores that don't even close ever, <laughs> like literally never, you know, yeah. they're always, it just proves the kind of like um, power that we really have and where are you going to get your milk at like 2 a.m. in the morning or
3: you know, for, for us, it's Takis. <laughs> okay, so. Yeah, our corner bodega, clo- like this, that's where I go for my milk and my ta- my <laughs> snacks. And I think that was like the first time they had closed ever.
2: I, ju- I remember like when we were organizing and we had like 48 hours pulled this. It's just amazing what we were able to accomplish. And it's because of these amazing business owners and these people that are like so hardworking that some of them had to like actually get a locksmith to like, Change a wow. lot, because they've never actually used that lock, never actually locked oh, wow. their shop. And it was so so amazing. what like they, a lot of people went out and posted these beautiful posters. We stand with you. We're with you. And I just I, when I think back at how ugly of a time it was, especially because we started protesting at JFK the very next day that a first Muslim ban was like um, announced, and people were like stuck in the airport. and people like, just no, this is not us. This can't be America. You don't freaking detain a 70-year-old grandma at freaking JFK who needs her diabetes Mm -hmm. medication. I I don't know if you've read. Fire and Fury. Oh,
0: yeah. Thomas Wolfe's Fire and... Thomas
2: Wolfe's book where he talks about what the rationale was behind waiting until like 4.59 p.m. on a Friday. And it was essentially to create chaos and, and confusion and fear. And that's exactly what they did. Have like freaking liberals go crazy on a weekend but in fact they kind of did us a service like it really (laughs) highlighted the very best in people and i'll just never forget that ever you know i had people um sending me messages like american citizens green card holders that were allowed to travel that worked for the imf or the world bank and that worked for international organizations that were stuck either in egypt had a lot of friends oh yeah and they're like i can't even fly back into jfk you know it's it was really despicable and the ripple effect that it had throughout the country like, you know, Trump coming into power, to be honest, I've always thought there was going to be this rhetoric, you know, Republicans, they don't know, you know, they can't be that bad. I mean, Trump is just, he's psychotic, but you know, he's feeding into like this fringe that's going to put him into power and like they, but in any case, like it, this freaking rhetoric was actually implemented and they are hell bent on the whitening of America, the destruction of the middle class, all these really horrible programs that are like, I actually was hoping that it was just going to be rhetoric. It's not. It's dangerous yeah. shit and it's happening and it's only been a year, but it feels like it's been going on forever. When is it going to end? Seriously. Well,
0: that, like, for Yemenis, it's not like this is happening just in the last year. We have to acknowledge just how long this has been going on.
2: Well, thank you for bringing that up because that's totally true. So here it is. Yes. Trump came up with an executive order to ban Muslims, we're part of it. But Yemeni Americans actually have suffered from these really horrible policies in immigration law for a very long time. Like we're talking about American citizens petitioning for a wife, for a child, for, you know, direct family members, where in any other, anyone else that's petitioning for a family member probably take them eight months to a year to to get their family member to join them here. Um, It would take On average, a Yemeni, no less than two to three to four, sometimes I've had family members waiting like for six to seven, eight years. Now, can you imagine what the toll that takes? Yeah. Emotional, financial, I mean, children being raised without their fathers, it's inhumane. And I am hopeful that we will defeat this ban. It is a Muslim ban. It is not a temporary halt. Yeah. We are going to lead um, the fight when it comes to Muslim Americans and civil liberties because I just feel like we've been really, really impacted in the worst way.
0: A lot of people are like, well, why can't they wait? What? Why can't they?
2: Uh, well I want If you wanna want to do
0: it legally, why can't you wait?
2: Can you actually imagine yourself living in opposite sides of the world yeah. for even a year? A year I could do. A year is fine. Okay, fine. I'll give you that. (laughs) But for two, three, four, five, I want these people that are saying this to like separate themselves from their family members, from their children, their babies, and then just live apart. No one would ever. Who? No one would agree to that.
0: Yeah. And also, most people don't understand what Yemen is going through. Most people don't understand immigration versus, you know, refugee status.
2: Well, that's another thing. Yeah. So we have a war in Yemen right now. Thousands of families um, and family members or Yemeni-Americans that have petitioned, that have petitions, by the way, even before the ban, and they've had interviews scheduled, right? So let's say a Yemeni-American petitioned for his wife and his kids to come to this country. He's been waiting for an interview, then this um, conflict in Yemen, and all of a sudden his family isn't safe anymore, so he wants to bring them here. There's no embassy in Yemen. So everybody has to leave the country, which is really kind of difficult right now because of the Saudi blockade. But to leave the country, go either to Djibouti, to Egypt, to Malaysia, to all these embassies throughout the world. A lot of times it's women, they have to travel with their children, leave the country. They have these appointments that they have to keep and then get to the embassy and then they're denied. They're given a letter stating due to Trump's executive order, we cannot give you a visa.
0: They've like gone through blockades to other countries just to get an interview to start a five to six to seven year process. And then they're met with that. And,
2: and these Yemeni Americans that are living here that are like trying to get their family to safety to join them are forced to support them. in like really like Djibouti is so expensive. I mean, if it was maybe a little better if they were still in Yemen, if we still had a, a, an embassy, if the Saudis of it not like bombing us smithereens, we would still be able to, be, oh, well, they're at home, they can still, you know, but the financial burden, the danger, traveling, going to Sudan, then to Djibouti, and then from Djibouti, if you can't be there, being transported to Egypt, it's, it's a travesty. I can't even begin to describe to you the kind of letters and emails and calls that I get. It's just so unbelievable what you, as an American citizen and I, would be like, oh, my God, my rights, due process. I'm totally denied. Like, what's the point of being an American? It's just, it's just so sad, and yet they're so patriotic. I love my people. Do you remember the bodegas? Check—they came out with all these. It yes.
0: uh, it's the yeah. most
2: beautiful thing, and it's like God. They're just—they love this country. They see the benefits, and they're also giving back to this country.
0: And they've given back for a long time, for a
2: very long time. And now we have like the Saudis who are like making life hellish. Um, not that the Houthis aren't, but I'll get into that later. <laughs> um, and then you have our own government. Making it even so much worse. So,
3: could you give us some more background on the situation in Yemen? A lot of
2: people that I talk to, they like to make it so simple and easy. Oh, it's just another sectarian like conflict in Yemen. That's so far from the truth. When it comes to Yemen and the initial conflict. Um, so let me set the record straight These are Yemenis, okay <laughs> <laughs> Iran didn't like import them to our shores no, these are Yemenis that have been living in Yemen forever, they're Yemenis they live in the north, they're in part of Yemen they are more aligned with the Hashemite, kind of like, oh we are like direct descendants of the prophet If anybody knows anything about Yemen for about a thousand years we were ruled by the Imam, which is a Hashemite Empire, and then in 1968 with the formation of The Republic of Yemen that was totally dismantled from the kingdom to a republic. For 33 years, we had a dictator in power, Ali Abdullah Saleh. Just like all the Arab countries post-colonialism, there was somebody propped there, usual. Um, Then what happened? The Arab Spring in 2011, starting with Egypt and the fall of Mubarak. We followed Egypt exactly one month after the fall or the beginning of the Egyptian revolution. The Yemeni revolution began, and it was a youth-led ad hoc grassroots movement. It was a beautiful moment. I was totally involved in it because Yemeni-Americans here, we formed the Yemeni-American Coalition for Change just to support this movement on the ground.
0: That's when we stopped really talking about, like, the Egyptian revolution and started really calling it the Arab Spring.
2: Yes, yes, because then it just had that ripple effect. And by the way, nobody could control it. It was really these grassroots, inspiring, peaceful, beautiful movements just to get rid of these horrific dictatorships that are like supported by the West, by the way. Finally, we were able to pressure and get Ali Abdullah Saleh, the dictator at the time, out of power. The Saudis have always been his ally, by the way. They put him in power, they supported him, and they've always had a heavy hand in Yemeni politics. He was pushed out. The Saudis helped put in his replacement, which is Hadi. Hadi, Abdurrabi Mansour Hadi, as the transitional government. They had an election, but he's the only one running. In any case, what happened was that the Houthis felt that they were really left out of the political process. Mm -hmm. And even though they were with us in Change Square and they participated in the revolution, and we were also united um, in so many ways because we had that common enemy. We wanted to get rid of a dictatorship. We wanted to really push for like a civil state, a government that's accountable to people. And this is what we, just like what we Americans want. Yeah, These people have the same aspirations, by the <laughs> way, <laughs> you know? And so this is what these young people, and by the way, in Yemen, more than 60% of the population are young, amazing people. This is what they want. They wanted to create this beautiful country for themselves. Um, I remember once they tried to introduce a morality police in Yemen. That morale, they didn't last a month. They got their asses kicked right there. Wow. You're not gonna tell me I can't go out with my girlfriend, and you're gonna you're gonna come and tell me like because they would go up to couples. I'm like, is she your wife? They got their asses kicked in the streets. We don't tolerate <laughs> that garbage. Unfortunately, the Saudis are having none of that, and the West and all, all these other parties that were involved. In any case, uh, the Houthis went down to Sanaa easily, took over the capital. Mm-hmm. There was no fighting. Hadi's government was really, really weak. And so this is not what we wanted and what most Yemenis are against. They didn't want a militia to take over. But because we had such a transitional government that was supported by these international powers, nothing was in our hands or their hands. So the Houthis came in, took over Sana'a, with very little resistance, zero resistance, in fact. <laughs> and then Hadi escaped, fled to the southern part of Yemen, Ta'd, and then he went to Saudi Arabia. And about six months later, after the Houthis took over northern Yemen, and then they went into southern Yemen, and then the Saudis intervened mm. this is what the saudi propaganda machine said at the time is that it won't take more than two weeks well this is reminds me a lot about iraq by the way yeah <laughs> was it what was the awe and shock
0: shock and awe, shock
2: and awe right? it won't take more than two weeks and we'll get it over and the houthis will be out it's three years now three years there is no place where they haven't bombed if we think about world war ii and the bombing of visit berlin
0: a bombing of berlin and dresden and dresden and- yes Dresden was like a carpet bomb firebombing, but Berlin suffered artillery fire and constant bombing. And then the same thing with London, bombed consistently for like almost a year.
2: Imagine the same kind of like campaign and even worse... Uh, with, with, modern w- with modern weapons, with modern weapons American made weapons by the way cluster bombs that are by the way illegal American made cluster bombs and this has been documented by the way by Human Rights Amnesty International mm-hmm. I'm not making this stuff up this is like documented we will
0: link this in the show notes yeah, by the way yeah please do
2: that because yeah I dare anybody that's sporting status tell me that's not true because I got like Photos on the ground at the time that it's happened. It's
0: clearly... What does a cluster bomb do?
2: They're supposed to actually kill people, like the most amount of people that you can in one...
0: Yeah, they like fragment out. They're not designed to eliminate a structure. Mm -mm. When you see official military films of a missile coming off of a a helicopter, and it just takes out a single building. This is not not surgical. No, no, no. This is the equivalent of firing a shotgun shell into a crowd of people.
2: It's designed to maim, kill as many people as possible. And the targets are residential areas. Imagine this kind of bombing, night and day for three years now. And they haven't left anything. We're talking about hospitals. Multiple times, Doctors Without Borders was bombed. We're talking about schools. We're talking about farms. Farms. And this is a country that's under total blockade, Saudi blockade, meaning nothing can get in and out. 90% of the population at this point needs aid to come in from outside. So this is for three years now. There's nothing that can justify this. None whatsoever. Nothing. This is collective punishment of an entire people, 27 million Yemenis. And if they want to sell it as, oh, well, we we need to restore the legitimate government. What legitimate government? We all don't want a militia to govern us, that's for sure. But I absolutely believe that we can come to the table. There could be a political solution to this. But I really think at this point for them, it's like this campaign on Yemen is to starve Yemenis to submission, mm. collective punishment of an entire country. And and it's so funny because um their Minister of Foreign Policy just went on the radio the other day and was like, Well, you know, you've got fifty thousand Houthis controlling twenty-seven million Yemenis. That is bull crap, okay? Yemenis are not easy to submit to anything. <laughs> what they did, in fact, the Saudis dug a hole for themselves because look, the last time a foreign power came into Yemen and tried to impose their beliefs was during the Jamal Abdel Nasser um support at the time where he had fifty thousand Egyptian troops try to invade Yemen. 50,000 Egyptian troops died on Yemeni soil. By the way, they can only just bomb. There's no way they can control anything on the ground. It's very difficult. Yemenis are very proud people. They're actually not violent at all. Even though we do have a lot of weapons like the US, a lot of people own an AK-47, we don't have 37,000 people die each year like the U.S. does.
0: I want to just like make a call out like we were talking like, you know, the equivalency in World War II. Like, I'm of Greek ancestry. The Italians tried to invade Crete and the Cretans were also ridiculously proud people and we just had, when they were trying to para-drop in, we would just go out in the field with pitchforks and let them land on it. Greece, specifically in World War II, held the Italians at bay for so long that It swung the course of the entire war. It forced Germany to kind of maneuver back down and be like, all right, we got to bail the Italians out of invading Greece. This is kind of what's happening here.
2: And I'm, I know, and I have thousands of followers from Yemen. I contact people all the time from all walks of life, whether it's government officials to your average guy in like the field, the farmer. They're like, hey, listen, we don't want a militia to rule us. You know, this is a 3,000-year-old civilization, okay? We are not talking about the Saudis who like got oil rich overnight and just like Donald Trump, like want to flaunt it <laughs> everywhere. No, we're talking about a civilization. We have a real history, a deep history. It's a beautiful country, the most generous people, the most open people, most peaceful people. We are known in the Arab world historically as happy Yemen, Yemen is Saeed for just for that reason. This is who we are. And it's not because we're proud or we're like macho or we're like this national. No. Mm. Yeah, we don't support the Houthis, but you're coming in here and and destroying everything. In fact, the Saudis have lost support in the north, in most of the country, by the way, Mm. even in the south, the United Arab Emirates and the Saudis who were once allies are now like, hey, what's happening? Like, this dirty politics that they're playing in Yemen, but they can't. It's not going to solve the crisis. It's not. It's not going to solve the crisis. It's not going to get anywhere. So let's bring it back to home. Why is this conflict important for me as an American? Well, hey, you're paying taxes, right? Your money is going towards fueling this war. We are not just selling weapons to the Saudis, okay? Mm-hmm. Even if you're like the one that's like you have no soul and you don't care and you just want to sell you weapons, actually. Our American warplanes are fueling Saudi planes to continue to bomb.
0: Mid-air refueling, yeah. Mid-air
2: refueling, in addition to all the other support that we've been giving to the Saudis. So we are directly involved in this war. It is our war. Yeah. It's something that a lot of Americans have no idea exists. And... People are beginning to pick up on it, but I think there's still this like, uh, what, yeah, man. uh, what's happening? Ah, it's too far. It's not, it doesn't affect me, it doesn't impact me. Well, your grocery guy who gives you your coffee every morning, who's probably supporting not just his family, but a bunch of family members that are now stranded throughout the world or just stuck in this war zone. So, yeah, it does impact all of us. So, you,
0: you might think it's far away from you, but I bet you a block away from you, there's someone on the phone. To their family there right now
2: that's for sure i don't know any yemeni family in the united states that's not supporting friends or direct family members at this point and like going through this ordeal and to top that off you have the ban
0: the final insult to all of these injuries is that then people just treat the ban so cavalierly really terrorism jobs is this why you're denying refugees out of a war zone from coming to meet their families What the hell?
2: You know what? I want to give people the benefit of the doubt, okay? Once they know the facts and understand what's happening, whether you're Republican or Democrat, people are people. Like once they maybe open up their hearts and their ears and put politics aside, be like, damn, this is a human issue. It could be me. It could be just imagine, like, try to put yourself in someone's shoes that's going through this, the pain and suffering, you know? I think it's about educating and raising awareness. I hope I hope this is doing that right now.
0: <laughs> the people who come to America, a lot of them are coming as refugees. Uh, the Protestants first arriving on American shores were religious refugees. Mm-hmm. You think about the Irish in our country, a famine. They were fleeing a homeland that had been decimated by something or the other. And the United States has constantly served as a place where immigrant communities can go, recuperate, be. Able to do everything that they should be able to do to maintain their culture, to maintain ties to their homeland. And when their homeland gets better, to be able to repopulate, to return, and to return that culture. And that in turn enriches our culture here.
2: We are a nation of, like you said, refugees, literally. (laughs) Yeah, we are. Yeah,
0: that's absolutely.
2: We tend to forget that, though. We talk
0: about immigration and we don't talk about what drives people. To immigrate. And it's not just because the United States is the shining beacon on the hill. It's also that the United States is, like it or not. A place of last resort for so many people because we are free and we are as stable as we are. And we do allow those freedoms, but we allow the freedom to be themselves. And we don't demand anything of anyone who comes here to assimilate, to learn English, to do this, to do that. We accommodate everybody so that they can maintain their cultures.
2: You know, I need to add to that because when you think about immigration in general, especially when you think about Europe, like, really, the United States, we are a lot more immigrant-friendly country. And it's precisely because of what you just said. It's because of our history. And people see that throughout the world. And this is why people in these kind of really tough times immigrate to the United States, because we are. We
0: And not just the United States, but Bay Ridge. Yes, Bay Ridge. A beautiful Bay
2: Ridge. <laughs> I I totally agree. Like I've, okay, so I've only been here two years. And I love going to my mom might not like this, but I love going to these bars (laughs) and around the neighborhood. And, you know, sometimes you're in a bubble. If you're in downtown Brooklyn, I grew up in downtown Brooklyn Mm -hmm. most of my life. But coming to Bay Ridge really, I just love it because I go to these bars, coffee shops or whatever. And I meet all kinds of people with all kinds of political backgrounds. Like when I sit there and I talk to them, I am really honest about everything. You know, I'm very outspoken. Like. I actually sit there and I talk to these people, and they're just lovely people. They would listen to you, even if I don't agree with everything that they say, but there's definitely a lot that connects us, by the way. Yeah. A lot of issues that actually impact us all equally, especially now and today, um, when you talk about the economy, when you talk about healthcare, when you talk about housing, when you, these are issues that impact us all. It just destroys this kind of wall that we tend to put for ourselves. Oh, mm. well... He voted for Trump or she's a Bernie person or whatever. And, like, we just build these walls and you don't really have to do that. No.
3: No. You know, the only reason that the United States can even resupply these planes is because... Of World War II again, because the United States maintains bases in like every country that we've ever won a war against. So we have bases in Italy, in Germany, and it's just a legacy of And militarism. Saudi Arabia,
0: even. In- and
3: Saudi Arabia. We don't have an air force base in Italy because we think we're going to be invaded by Italy. It's there to exert American military influence in that entire half of the world. Yeah. I really think it's time for an anti-war movement.
2: When you have over 1,000 military bases throughout the world, no, you are at war with the world. Sometimes we get, oh, well, we're not at war. It's just a military base. No, no. There are actually a lot of conflicts that we're involved in, first of all. But second of all, why do we spend these billions and billions, trillions of dollars on military bases and like just defense in general? when we can actually take some of that money and, like, put it in here at home. It's so sad when you compare, like, developed countries, the United States. Our priorities are all screwed. Spending all this money and, like, allocating all these funds – the only people that are benefiting are very, very small minority elite that are benefiting from all this. And it's not us. It's not the average American. I don't care what you believe in. You're not. And, You're and also not.
0: the people benefiting aren't even like they might be based in America, but I would be loath to call them American. They're an international set of the super rich.
3: Every time I cross uh, Gatling Place or what is it, Parrot? place i think you know in 50 years are we gonna have like dibold street and blackwater avenue
0: those avenues in the 90s in bay ridge are all named for civil war arms manufacturers when is that going to be as offensive as general lee and stonewall jackson street
2: what's the next step Obama, when he first supported the Saudis on this, never went to Congress and asked for permission. So Congress never actually debated this. Congress never actually authorized this. It's an illegal war. Yeah. This is literally what it is right now.
3: We yeah, never war is a au- power of the Senate.
2: Yeah. And so it's across the aisle to Republicans and Democrats that are actually calling for an end to U.S. intervention or whatever it is. And what people can actually do, it won't even take you a couple of minutes of your time. You can call one Stop war, and it will like direct you to your senator. All you need to do is, say, is to do is say that you are asking that you are against any American support for any kind of intervention in the war in Yemen. Um, again, the number is one eight three three. Stop war. If you're on Twitter or Facebook, you can use um, hashtag
3: let Yemen live. Yemen can't wait. Guys, tweet at us. Let us know what kind of action you're taking.
0: If you're calling, if you're writing mail, we're going to be using those hashtags. Go to the site. Of course, you'll see Rabia in the neighborhood. If you see her, <laughs> she is very friendly and we will talk to you at length. Um, check out the bars and the local coffee shops.
3: <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for coming in, Rabia. This has been great, very educational. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you. So thank you so much to
1: Rabia and thank you, Dan and Mary, for doing that interview and everything else you've been doing while I've been too busy to stop by.
0: <laughs> yeah, and thank you so much, Rabia, for coming in and taking the time to talk. We know you have a really busy schedule. She is all over the place talking about Yemen and it's really great to have her come in and just give us a local spin on what she's been doing and what's happening in Yemen right now.
1: And as Dan said at the beginning of the show, um, if anybody is part of a community in Bay Ridge that has ties to national or international issues, it's always interesting to get the, the local neighbor perspective of how those issues are impacting your life. So reach out, tweet us, email.
0: We'd love to have you in the studio to talk and just provide context for your fellow neighbors about where you're coming from. So there's also some things that we can do about this, though. We do want to single out Dan Donovan, our local House congressperson.
1: Well, because Dan sits on the Committee of Foreign Affairs, which we said earlier, and they've had a little bit to say about Yemen. Really? Most of the communications that have been sent out by Chairman Royce have had to do with Yemen and Iran. Hmm. And as we all heard, there's a lot going on with Saudi Arabia and Yemen, too. Yeah. So last November, when Dan had his coffee houses and he did his Fort Hamilton High School coffee house, Mm. I actually asked him a question about Yemen and about Saudi Arabia and about what he was willing to do to help his constituents with family overseas.
0: I hope we have a clip of that.
1: We definitely have a clip of that. So I was reading Chairman Royce's statement on Yemen and Iran coming out of the Foreign Relations Committee, which, as we all know, you're very knowledgeable on. Um, I would go that far. <laughs> I'm giving. I'm going to give you the credit. Um, as you probably know, part of your district includes one of the largest Arab American populations on the Eastern Seaboard. Many of my friends, particularly within the Yemeni community, are also concerned about Saudi Arabia's incursions and violence toward Yemeni people. In Chairman Royce's statement, he singled out Iran. He did not talk about what we're going to do to prevent Saudi Arabian violence in Yemen. Can you speak to that, please? Yeah, that, it, 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 it,
4: some folks don't know, oh, there's a humanitarian crisis going on right now in Yemen. They import,
3: I'm guessing, about 90% of their food. And we
4: can't get the food to them. There's disease in Yemen. People that. The UN has asked to stop the blockade. Saudi Arabia right now is blockading the ports so that food can't get in. Um, and Iran has a great influence in that country. So I'm not sure that Chairman Royce was ignoring or is supportive of what Saudi Arabia is doing. I think the concentration was on what was happening with the relationship with Iran. Uh, but the UN, the United States, has asked that we allow while they're settling, and the United States supports the uh, uh, Haiti, the, the president of Yemen, uh, because a new regime had come in. Uh, but the United States supports the, uh, the, uh, the uh, administration, the previous administration that was in place by the Yemen people, um, but for humanitarians sake uh, say we've got to get in there and help those people. We've got to bring food, medicine, children are dying, the area, things that we don't think about uh, in the United States anymore because of our ability to care and have clean drinking water and, and nutrition. So I, w- I would take uh, Royce's uh, statement as supportive of anyone who's trying to stop humanitarian aid from going in. I think his concentration was on, on Iran's influence there. In,
1: in that case, just a quick follow-up, are you willing to do anything? Are you doing anything? What are you willing to do to highlight the fact that Saudi Arabia is enacting that violence on Yemen?
4: Yeah, I think, I think the United States is recognizing it as, a, as a country. But,
1: but you, you personally, as our representative and the representative Yeah, of I'm, and I'm on a foreign affair, so, yes, Great. absolutely.
4: Thank you. Thanks, Rich, thanks for coming.
1: So that was what Dan had to say in November. And since then, Chairman Royce has sent out a number of updates. The most recent one I have on file is from mid-February. And he was in Saudi Arabia, and here's the part of the statement that applied to Yemen. Of course, Saudi Arabia and the Middle East as a whole faces serious threats from Iran. In our productive meetings, we discussed efforts to apply more financial and diplomatic pressure against Iran's missile program and its support for terror. In Yemen, I'm encouraged that the flow of relief has improved, but more must be done to increase access to food, water, and basic medicine. The Iranian-backed Houthis are pushing this conflict into a third year, and 8 million innocent people are on the brink of starvation. You'll note that Chairman Royce did not talk about the Saudi blockades.
0: No, he was in Saudi Arabia at the time, it seems like. Okay. So we definitely hope that our House congressperson representing Yemeni Americans and Yemenis trying to get their families home to the United States, getting out of war zones or getting them from places that they've been stranded in those embassies that Rabia talked about across the world, this diaspora trying to get these people reunited with their families. Mm -hmm. Another thing that really is interesting is, has Dan said anything about just the fact that this is an illegal war period, as Rabia mentioned?
1: I haven't seen him say something specifically about this war. I do know that in the meeting I had with him last August, we talked a little about the AUMF, Authorized Use of Military Force. Mm -hmm. He didn't seem super concerned about updating it. While he was very willing to give me a brief explainer on the separation of powers. He wasn't really able to tell me how he feels Congress can push back on that or whether he's willing to lead any kind of charge there.
0: So yeah, contact Donovan. He's on Foreign Relations Committee. Contact Senator Gillibrand or Schumer, our New York state senators who have a direct line on this.
1: And even though I know we all think, well, they're Democrats, they're going to do what we need them to do, they won't.
0: Yeah, we have to tell people that we care about that are right next door to us and our voices will carry more weight for that specific reason. Mm-hmm. So check out our show notes, follow Rabia online, her, and just, you know, have a little bit of an open heart to think about this issue. It's not conservative or liberal. It's just humanitarian. Yeah. After you've done all that, only then follow us, like us on Twitter. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like us on Facebook. And until next time, stay free, Barrage.